Welcome to Muffliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake. And today, Josh and I don't study for the test, but get top marks anyway as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and come now to the 26th chapter, the second task. Well, Josh, everything pretty much works out well for Harry for not having answered or solved this final bit of the clue to the second task. Everybody just seems to help Harry, right? Uh, he seems to he seems to get a bit of help from others, moaning Myrtle, and now Dobby coming in with the very thing that Harry needs. And I, it, it seems like Harry didn't really work out too much on this one, to be honest. Yeah, I think like with each successive read through. The, the amount that Harry has helped in this task especially is uh, is uh, is more and more concerning. It feels like, you know, you you think he's going to get it right. Like he got help with the egg clue and you think, man, he's going to he's going to find something in a book in the very last minute. And it's you know, and that's going to be kind of another little complication that he just quickly needs to to get that last thing. Maybe it's another opportunity to to steal from Snape's, uh, you know, private uh, private storage or whatever, but uh, we we obviously know that I think uh, Dobby is the one who takes Gillyweed from Snape and then gives it to Harry, and so. But this is one of those moments where, you know, through this read through, you know that Mad Eye Moody, you know Barty Crouch Junior, is that kind of like is knows that Dobby is there in the staff room when he's talking to McGonagall and mm. uh, and just knows that he's going to run to Harry because Harry, you know, hasn't got it yet, which is quite an interesting plan. Like that's, that's you know, you're putting all your eggs in one basket maybe of just hoping that, you know, Dobby the house elf runs to Harry with the answer. And if we think about it, he seems pretty loyal to the Malfoys even after leaving them. And uh, I mean, I think maybe his loyalty for Harry almost trumps his loyalty for Dumbledore and Hogwarts, to be honest. Yeah, I think so. And and um, and that's ultimately, um, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that, you know, at that point that Moody's able to take advantage of him. Fake Moody, yes. we should say. But I'm sure we'll talk later about Dobby's <laughs> reasons and uh, ultimate reasons for, for how this came to be. But safe to say he is not acting entirely alone. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. <clears throat> All right, Blake, should I summarize? Yeah, let's jump into it. Charms class provides the perfect opportunity for Harry to tell Ron and Hermione what he has learned about the second task. He also informs them of what he saw on the Marauder's map, Barty Crouch looking around in Snape's office. The three of them also wonder aloud what it was that uh, Snape did to be on his second chance with Dumbledore. Harry, Ron, and Hermione spend as much time as possible in the library, combing through books for any hope of how to breathe underwater. On the night before the task, toward the end of their study session, Fred and George visit and inform Ron and Hermione that they need to go and see Professor McGonagall. With the library soon closing, Harry tries to take as many books as possible back to the Gryffindor common room. He determines to use the invisibility cloak to sneak back into the library once these books prove unhelpful. Harry wakes up to Dobby, informing him that it is mere minutes until the second task is about to begin. He has fallen asleep in the library. At first, Harry wonders whether he can even compete, but Dobby pleads with him that he must go and retrieve his wheezy. Ron has been taken. Dobby, however, is not only acting as an alarm clock, he is also here to give Harry gillyweed, the perfect way to breathe underwater. When Harry arrives at the lake, there are murmurs of frustration and relief. Clearly, people thought that he would not be coming. 
Once the task begins, Harry chews the gillyweed and waits for what seems like minutes without anything happening. Finally, he feels like he is unable to breathe and notices odd things forming about his neck. Intuitively, he dives into the water, once again able to breathe, only now it is through the gills he has sprouted. Harry reaches the hostages first among the champions and sees Ron, Hermione, Cho Chang, and a young girl looking very similar to Fleur. He uses a sharp stone to free Ron and proceeds to try and free the other students. At this point, the Mermish guard stops him from helping anybody else. Cedric finally arrives and frees Cho. Later, Crumb arrives and frees Hermione. When he realizes that Fleur might not arrive in time, he takes out his wand and the Mermish guards back away from him. He is able to free both the young girl and take Ron to the surface. At the surface, Harry begins to realize that no one was in real danger. However, he earns nearly full points for showing moral fiber after the Mermish chief explained the situation to Dumbledore. More importantly, Fleur is extremely grateful to Harry and Ron for saving her sister. Harry is awarded the second most points and will enter the third task tied for first with Cedric Diggory. I just got to say, I think it's totally understandable that Harry maybe took this a little too far or at least thought it was much more life-threatening than than it was i mean i think anybody in that situation once they're down in that you know that lake down with the 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 mer people and the grindelows and all this all of a sudden would just be thinking boy if i don't get back you know um or get them by this time limit like ron's gonna be dead you know he's gone um and it's like I feel like he, he, you know, didn't count on the fact that, hey, this is still like, you know, there's there's been barriers put in place to make this not as dangerous. And uh, he feels like a little bit, a little, a little bit stupid. Once Ron kind of be like, Harry, you didn't believe that, you know, we were actually in danger, right? And then he's like, oh, oh, yeah, I did. And so. I think I think that's kind of that's kind of pretty funny that uh, Harry gets sort of uh, roped up in the occasion and thinking kind of like okay this is this is it I'm once again Harry's Harry's the hero yeah well and, and like I think maybe after the first task where there was a real sense of danger for the champion Harry didn't stop and think that hang on a second the people taken would not be in danger even if the champions were in danger. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, the, the realness and the, the danger he felt in and amongst the, the dragon and the, the slight injuries and all those things um, maybe made him think, OK, this is real, real. I've got to figure this out. Now, Josh, before we before we go any further, I kind of have been thinking over this past week about different ways that I would go about having, uh, you know, sourced a way to breathe underwater. Right. Uh, mm. They they mentioned the aqua lungs uh, and that kind of, you know, you could you could go full scuba diver suit, you know, and uh, and, and get the whole shebang. And the thing that they're worried about is, you know, summoning charm get that flying through muggle cities or something and then that would break the sort of secrecy act and i understand that but if harry had uh you know worked out this air clue maybe just a little bit sooner you know i i would have hoped that there would have been possibility to be like you know what let's take a sneaky trip back into muggle england you know back to maybe like you know diagon out get to gringotts exchange some money uh, harry's got plenty exchange some money for some you know some normal you know british pounds or whatever it is and then go buy yourself some aqua lungs and then get them back or even better 
you know, go down to a Hogsmeade, pay someone to source that sort of thing for you, and then just pick it up from the Hogsmeade shop on your next visit, you know, and then leave it there. And then, you know, Axio summon that once you're ready. Like that's kind of, I was kind of thinking that that could be a pretty, pretty good answer. I don't know. There might be holes in that. Um, maybe that's not allowed so, like an external thing that's just not magic, but yeah. Here's the uh, here's the only thing I can figure out. Um, okay. Like, is is this a a form of technology, quote unquote, mm. that won't react well with magic? I just don't see, I don't know. I just, I would see like the, uh, what is the depth meter? the the like kind of the you know the water depth gauge like that that kind of seems like i don't even know if that's like technology in the such that i feel like that off that like sort of reacts to pressure around it and that's how the gauge works it's not like digital i always when they say technology i always kind of think like digital because i still think like a gun which has all physical components would still fire in the magical world, would you not think that? Like, yeah, you know, I would. A, but, yeah, it's an interesting they, problem. But I, what does what does Aqualung have? Like, telephones wouldn't be digital technology, and yet they haven't adopted that. Ah, true. Because that would be a that would be one that they would like would specifically be a good one to adopt. Mm. So it might be. So here, here's the other thing, Blake. Is here's the other problem with what you've said. Let's say. Aqualungs look perfectly, work perfectly, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, Harry's getting a real low score from the judges on that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think he is. I think, I th- yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You, you're not thinking so, of a, a magical solution. You're kind of thinking yeah. back to and what so, you know. So mm. Even though it, it works, he, he loses the tournament, which ends up saving his life, maybe. Um, and and, and I've, I've got to say, it seems like by the end of it, it seems like there's not there potentially could be not a whole lot of advantage coming in last because I think is Fleur sort of the 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 bottom of the table when it gets to the um the the maze the third task is that correct? It's really anybody's game once you get there. That's that's kind of my thought as well. So you really yeah. just have to pass, and you know you could still anything goes, and so obviously they were attacking each other in the maze and. If you know, if you keep your wits about you, yes, you don't have a head start, but all these tasks kind of lead up to something that's a bit more chancy. And t- I guess, I guess, um, I may be thinking of because Harry doesn't really encounter any like sphinx, like, like, or I guess, like any like kind of creatures and stuff, like uh, Mad Eye Moody from the outside of the um. Uh, from the outside of the maze is kind of keeping those things away from Harry. So he kind of gets through a bit quicker. So maybe, you know, yes, that that's a uh, head start would help because you do have to get through quite a few sort of different beasts and riddles and, you know, traps or things like that. Um, but yeah, I just, I just sort of think like, you know, that would get you through, but yeah, I think if you've got that much time to know that you have to breathe underwater, you probably have enough time to work out a magical solution that would actually get you some more points. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think that's, that's probably a good case. And, uh, yeah. And, and we're surprised, we're surprised that, uh, and that, that no one was able to come up with any of these ideas, I guess, Transfiguration was mentioned briefly, but uh, 
Cedric and Fleur's um, bubblehead. Yes, the bubblehead charm. Yeah, and sounds so much like bobblehead. You know, they, they <laughs> Harry's Harry's leaving it to the last minute really did uh, come too effective here. Well, yeah, it, it produced the best one, right? Because Gillyweed by far was, I think, the best one. It didn't alter anything else. Now, mind you, the partial transfiguration that Crumb does to turn his like head into sort of that shark head would produce probably quite a good maybe he would adopt like scent and smell uh like sharks uh, you know have and that would be dangerous uh, yeah that so that that you know he could he could know kind of sounds a bit weird that he knows Hermione's scent but maybe that could could have helped him quite a bit whereas the bubblehead charm I feel like that's all that it is so you would have to know how to maybe propel yourself magically with your wand under the water or you must mm. be a, a decent swimmer whereas the gilly we'd actually gives Harry, I think, webbed hands, webbed feet, and gills. Right. So it actually treats him more like he, he really is probably the best in this situation because he has the best mobility, uh, the best kind of, I guess, maybe ability, uh, I guess the ability of reaction. And, you know, he, you know, maybe a shark can't quite turn around and jerk and sort of do those finer motions and mo- uh, and and movements if his upper body was a shark or something whereas Harry can use his webbed feet and and hands to really get control in the water so i think out of all of them Harry's Harry's you know wins but it's just like it's just so funny that you know it's not of anything that Harry did except just follow Cedric's clue and then and then Dobby to the rescue. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. It's so funny. Um, Dobby really does save his skin here. He does. Now, Josh, uh, last episode, uh, I mentioned that you were the king of theme. You know, I still hold to that, but I, I like to think that maybe this week, maybe I got a little bit closer. What do you think? I, I like your theme, Blake. I like your theme. You, you mentioned yes. uh, loyalty, so loyalty and friendship. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's good. However, however, I think uh, if we if we put mm. uh, if we if we use some language that's used in the chapter, uh, yes. and put a little bit of uh, a scare quotes around it, it can actually be a bit of a double entendre. It can mean two things in in this situation. And and I've I've written down the theme moral fiber uh, because that's what Harry is awarded so many points for. But yes, you read the rules carefully. He certainly doesn't show moral fiber when Dobby comes to try and help him. <laughs> you know what, Josh? I, I did not even connect those two things. I did not connect the fact, like, you know, I just kind of move on that, like, from Dobby giving Harry the, mm. I was about to say from Dobby giving Harry the weed, um, from Dobby giving <laughs> Harry the the gillyweed mm. and um, and then Harry using it. And then I kind of just assume, yeah, he did show moral fiber, right? Like, he, well, wow, way to go, Harry. But it is really funny that it's like, I did not connect that back, being like, well, he didn't really show moral fiber when he accepted the cheating. Like, <laughs> oh, that's really good. So so loyalty, friendship, very, you know, that's that's very core in that moral fiber. But yeah, Josh, once again, you uh you take the crown of uh, oh, of uh, king of kind. king of theme. But no, he he does, right? You know, and we can we can we can talk about that now where he's determined to save everyone and it's who harry is and that's just another way in this in this chapter it shows you know harry's determination uh, to make sure everybody gets out alive it's one of the things that later on in this book must just be uh, really hard um, for maybe harry to deal with even though cedric diggory is, is an older sort of wizard but just being like helpless in that situation where all of a sudden without Harry even having a chance, like Cedric's dead and mm. 
you know, Harry couldn't help at all. And I think that there, there would be multiple quiet moments in, in you know, evenings, you know, that followed that event and that, that horrible night that Harry would be thinking about that, you know, and thinking about the fact that he, he couldn't save Cedric Diggory and he'd, he'd, everything would feel quite quite more raw to him in that situation. But, you know, here in this task, the second task, we have obviously Cedric Diggory still alive. He's there to rescue Cho, but like Harry wants to save everybody and that's just who he is. It is who he is. And and I don't want to take that away from him, but uh, I guess a, a slight qualification for, for Harry's behavior is that three of the people down at the bottom of the lake could have been his person. Um, yes. You know, he, he really, he really likes Cho. He's best friends with Ron and Hermione. And so he's in a unique situation. I think we really see the, the moral fiber come through when he's so willing to save Gabrielle yes. rather than yep. any one of the other three being left. Right. He's he obviously yes. the second person he goes to is Hermione. But at the end, he saves this person he doesn't really know. And that's where we see that coming through strongest. That's right. Wouldn't it be just such a slap in the face to Ron and Hermione if like Cho Chang was the thing that, you know, Harry Harry missed uh, most or something? So and they're kind yeah. of like, like Ron would kind of just be like, oh, roll is up, whatever. Harry, and then Hermione would be like, really, Harry? You only knew her, you yeah. know, this little <laughs> bit, like, come on. Um, and uh, But but I think it's it's obviously up to the judge's discretion, right? And, you know, they're, they're looking and being like, oh, yes, Ron would be a good pick for Harry. Yeah, cool. And well, Crumb, you know, yes, we could take one of the other, you know, maybe the other boys, but maybe take the show off down to the bottom. He can judge from down there. And one of the, th- the things that maybe shows about Crumb specifically is that, you know, there is no other like, you know, Doomstrung boy who is down there. Um, who's there's nobody there because I feel like he's he's not maybe focused on that. I wonder how many friends he actually has at the school or if Kakarov mm. kind of keeps him and treats him like a pet and kind of keeps him away from all of that. And so, you know, when he obviously takes Hermione to the Yule Ball, it's like there's a kind of a clear winner maybe that this is someone that, that he cares about. Um, and so, yeah, definitely um, uh, kind of an interesting thing there. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Um, well, we've talked about Harry's character development. The the, mm. the other characters, we don't see too much uh, development in this chapter, uh, but we do see a fair bit of world building, Blake. Uh, yeah. And, and one of the things that didn't quite make the cut for the summary is that this chapter, we, we learned that Hagrid is back. He's taking over from Professor Grubbly Plank. Good but man, he's good man. continue teaching about unicorns. How boring for him, am I right? I oh. mean, like, ugh, just... What a boring creature that nobody wants to learn about, uh, except for some reason, they all seem to love this lesson from Hagrid. And it's probably their favorite lesson that Hagrid's ever done, even though he's kind of a bit like, what a boring creature. But yeah, I just thought it was quite cool how we learn that the foals of unicorns are like they're gold um, up until they're fully grown, which is around seven uh, years old. And apparently they, they don't mind boys as much. Uh, at that age when they're babies maybe they just you know get a bit you know i don't know too prideful or a little bit like no snobbish you know no no i'm an adult now i don't need boys attention just girls thanks <laughs> well it's 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 really nice for us um for those of us who really like hagrid to mm. to, to get this insight that okay he's not a terrible teacher nor is he uh, lack knowledge um he just picks creatures that 
a very, very small percentage of the population feels both interested in and safe around. Um, yes. He, Hagrid is the rare person who feels both those things. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Come on, Hagrid, you know, step up your game. You, you, you're not just doing things that interest you. You've got to, you know, you've got to teach the, the students the knowledge they need to know. But uh, apparently uh, the uh, the unicorns enjoy sugar lumps. But Josh, do they poop rainbows? You know, these, this is a unicorn. Do they? This is a question do, we still have. A, we, yeah, we, we, we don't get this answered. So maybe our listeners have done a deep dive somewhere and uh, and maybe they know. But, uh, you know, many of the books that, uh, you know, I see uh, aimed towards children, apparently unicorns poop rainbows. And so yeah. you kind of think, is this true of, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling's uh, unicorns? And I don't think it is, but uh, too bad. But uh, anyway, we see other little world building elements like, you know, gillyweed that Harry receives that allows you to kind of breathe underwater by giving you these properties of underwater creatures. Um, and speaking of those creatures, people. Uh, and I realized today that this uh, this breed here are a a hardy Scottish strain of uh, people uh, in the Great Lake. Yeah. And and with the people, one of the things that we notice is uh, it's just how unlike they are from the picture in the prefect bathroom they're uh they're a lot maybe how to put it scarier <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i think so they're not as um refined uh as as that um uh maybe the uh the the, the lovely uh what is it the mermaid on the rock i think uh sitting on the rock in the uh, in the bath uh in the bath uh tub or whatever the, <laughs> the bathtub um, in the uh, the prefix bathroom there, uh, they look a little bit a little bit different than that. Yeah, very different. And and Blake, this really puts on display for I think the first time, arguably, the Great Lake at Hogwarts. This is yeah. the first time that the, the Great Lake becomes kind of a main character. We've seen um, the Durmstrang ship arrive through the lake or in the lake somehow, um, but this is kind of the lake taking center stage finally. It's it's taking back its place uh, over from the Forbidden Forest. Finally, because it is such a magical thing, like, you know, it's a, it's a body of water that has so many different magical creatures and, and quite often the, uh, you know, like Hogwarts itself with the different areas surrounding it kind of work as like a um, a nature reserve, right, with mm, different creatures right. sort of in, and life kind of teeming from it. But but one of the little extra writings that JK has done, um, and we'll link to this in the show notes, but I did want to I did want to read this out because it's just really fascinating. I think the listeners will, will love it, but um, she writes that the lake is the setting for the second task that the Triwizard competitors must face in the Goblet of Fire, which is also my favorite task. I find it satisfyingly creepy. I like the diversity of the methods employed by the competitors to breathe underwater, and I enjoyed plumbing the depths of a part of the grounds that had never been seen before. In the original draft of Chamber of Secrets, I had Harry and Ron crash into the lake in Mr. Weasley's Fort Anglia and meet the people there for the first time. At that time, I had a vague notion that the lake might lead to other places and that the people might play a larger role in the later books than the people did. So I thought that Harry ought to be introduced to both at this stage. However, the Whomping Willow provided a more satisfyingly, less distracting crash and served a later purpose in The Prisoner of Azkaban too. The Great Lake, which is a really a Scottish lock, apparently freshwater and landlock, never did develop as a portal to other seas or rivers. 
Uh, although the appearance of the Doomstrung ship from its depths in Goblet of Fire hints at the fact that if you are traveling by an enchanted craft, you might be able to take a magical shortcut to other waterways. I mean, what a great little addition, a little kind of extra sort of nugget of uh, world building that she just put in there. I love that. That just already just, I've never seen that before. And that just kind of increases that magical aspect that the lake has. Yeah. Well, and it, it seems like, like other entrances to Hogwarts, this would be carefully guarded and perhaps only opened at certain times. So yeah, you can almost picture like Dumbledore asking uh, Madame Maxine and Karkarov, okay, how are you going to arrive? We need to make sure that, you know, you don't get <laughs> shot down by magical spells on the way in. Um, and so he opens the, the air and opens the, the lake yes. for, for Karkarov to come in, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we definitely know that there's a barrier for around, you know, magically, you know, aerial, you know, there is that barrier there and uh, just to protect the students. And so uh, obviously it would make sense that there might be, you know, a magical barrier on this body of water so you can't just transport into it but yeah i just love that i wonder how she might have used that later in the books like the mer people later on in the books that would have been fascinating but also just kind of the idea of like could one of these books be in some kind of like underwater epic adventure you know we're talking percy jackson here you know and uh, mm. that that sort of thing where they like they use this to be transported to another body of water maybe uh uh, I don't know, maybe they just use it as transport rather than some kind of underwater thing. But yeah, just fascinating, fascinating stuff. So that's really just a great little bit of that world building that I just really loved because, you know, the Doomstring ship arrives, um, but it's just a great little little hint at uh, the magic in the depths of this great lake. Like one of the things that we see in, in foreshadowing here, which we haven't mentioned yet at all, is some of Hermione's comments about becoming an animagus. animagus. And so um, obviously that is going to point us forward to um, the eventual reveal of Rita Skeeter, as yes. well as the water beetle, so-called, that is in her hair at the end of the task. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Finally, that uh, that we, we get back up to there. I know we mentioned that in previous podcasts, um, uh, episodes, just as we were talking a little bit about, you know, where she starts to appear. Um, and, you know, when you go back on that second reading, you finally see it. And so I think that that is a really great little piece of foreshadowing that we get when we uh, do a second read through. That's right. Like the main significance of this chapter is that Harry lives to see another day uh, <laughs> and that he doesn't die. Thanks to the help of others. Thanks to the help of others. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But uh, really great. Uh, you know, we get to see uh, a lot of fun things in this. Um, uh, I think a lot of w great world building in this task because we get to finally explore uh, a new area and take to the depths which is great but thank you for listening to today's episode to support the podcast and keep the magic alive you can leave a rating and review on apple Podcasts. you can also support us financially at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash muffliadopod and to send us questions on our instagram or email or website muffliadopodcast.com to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss the 27th chapter of harry potter and the goblet of fire padfoot returns <laughs>